our uh, message last time took us up through verse 4, but I'll start reading at chapter 3, verse 10, and then continue through the end of the chapter. Let's hear God's word. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jonah and his life uh, poured out for you, for your glory, for commemoration in your word, and for the continual instruction of your people throughout time. We pray, Lord, that we would learn the message and that we would uh, come away with a deeper understanding of why it is that you included Jonah in your Bible. We thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in the last two messages, we uh, already read part of the text from the last two messages, uh, the last part from the one two times before, and then all of the one from last time. And in those last two messages, we spoke in detail about Nineveh coming to repentance and then Jonah's intense anger at that. So we've now read all of Jonah. We've completed the book. And so I want you first, to take a few seconds here to reflect on what we just read in chapter 4. I want you to reflect on your impression of God. What did God do in chapter 4? And he did it actually throughout the whole book. My question is, what is the book of Jonah all about? What is the message of Jonah? We can't be uh, taken away with the miraculous 
salvation of Jonah through the swallowing by the fish and then three days later the being spit up onto shore after having finally humbled himself and asked God to be saved. We can look at his disobedience to God. Here he is, a prophet of God, and yet he so blatantly disregards God's command. Uh, who is he to be doing such a thing? Uh, could it be the main message of Jonah? Could it be about either of these? Could it be about his hard, unforgiving heart here at the end? Is it to teach us that we're not to be like Jonah, <clears throat> that we're to uh, humble ourselves and submit to God, that we're to forgive those that God forgives and not to be judging as Jonah was wanting to continue to judge. So what is the message of Jonah? That's the question, isn't it? When you come to the end of a four-chapter book, what is it? What was it all about? Now, in the text that I've read, we covered verse 4 last time, but it is repeated again in verse 9. Twice, God says this to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? Now, that's all he said in verse 4. And in verse, 9, he's, in verse 9, he said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? What was implied in verse 4 as to what Jonah was angry about? When he asked Jonah in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? What is implied is my forgiving the Ninevites, my having saved 120,000 plus people of the Assyrians. Is it right for you to be angry at me saving these people? Is it right for you to be angry at me taking the life of this little plant? It is very odd. I mean, they're just two totally extremes, but they're true of Jonah. Jonah got exceedingly angry when the Ninevites were saved, and here he is again angry. He's angry at the loss of this plant. Now, at first you would think what Jonah's angry about is that he's lost his shade, right? You think that. But what was he angry about? He wasn't angry about that. God tells us why he is angry. You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow. Jonah was sad that the plant died. Not that he was no longer being shaded by it. You must realize that. It's important. Jonah is angry that God took the life of a plant. He was angrier that God spared the life of 120,000 plus people. Now, you have to know that this is not the best side of Jonah that we're seeing in this book. I believe Jonah awaits us in heaven. We will see him. Yet, he's way out in left field in the book of Jonah. We're not seeing Jonah, the love of Jonah, the love of a man who knows God, who loves God. In verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Self-pity. Brooding, angry, self-centered, self-pity. That's where we find Jonah in verse 5. 
Now, Jonah appreciated God's kindness to him. And yet, here he is wallowing in self-pity because of all of this grace that God has bestowed upon the Ninevites. God had the plant come up, but then morning dawned the next day, and God prepared a worm, and it damaged the plant so that it withered. Then he brought the hot sun, he brought the strong, vehement east wind. Jonah grew faint from the heat, and he wished to die. At the end of verse 8, it is better for me to die than to live. This is not the first time we've seen this in Jonah. When Jonah told the sailors to toss him into the sea, he fully expected to die. This was the sailors doing what it is that Jonah himself wished to do. Get away from all of this. He wanted to escape this God who was making him do this thing that he so detested, being a witness to the salvation of all these Ninevites. So again, God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah says, yes, even unto death. He is so mournful over the loss of a plant that he wants to die. Now, we know that he can't be that sad about the plant, but he is that sad, that angry at God about what has happened. His heart is still not aligned with God's heart. And that's where we often find ourselves. Our hearts are not aligned with God's. And so that's why God has Jonah have his story told for us and forevermore in his word. We are witnesses to Jonah's hardness of heart. So now, earlier I asked, what is your impression of God from having read chapter 4 of the book of Jonah? What is your impression of God? It is wonder. Wonder at the God that would tolerate this level of disrespect, of disobedience. Why would he bother going after Jonah? What's interesting is that this book is about, it tells of 120,000 people being saved, right? Glorious. We know that the angels in heaven rejoiced. All of these souls entering into heaven, 120,000 plus. But is that what the book's about? No. No, that's an afterthought. That's not what the book of Jonah's about at all. You know, last week, there was the second World Series game, and there was an old man that sang the Star Spangled Banner and the America the Beautiful. That old man is James Taylor. He's 65 now. He was a very popular singer. Now, I'm getting older than most everyone here. And so he was a very popular singer back in the 70s. And he was married to a woman who was also a popular singer. And she wrote a song entitled, You're So Vain. You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. It's true, though. This, this, the title of the song is true. That She wrote this song about someone who was so vain, but yet it is about that person. It's ironic in that she writes a song about a person that she detests because he's so vain, thus memorializing his vanity. So what is the book of Jonah about? Is it about Jonah? I ask that. Is it about Jonah? No, I don't think it's about Jonah. It's not about Jonah at all. He is our human here, 
that the whole story revolves around, but this whole story is about God. God showcases his mercy and his grace towards us by revealing in Jonah this incredible hardness of heart that he has more love of a plant than he does of 120,000 plus people. Do we do the same thing? We do. We do the same thing. We look at Jonah, and especially when you see it that bluntly, that, that crudely, and we think, how can anyone place their love and affection upon something like a plant when there are so many people out there that are lost? But Jonah is not the only believer on earth to do that, to suffer that. We all do it to some extent. We all go astray. And so what this book is about is really about the God that never goes astray. You can imagine Jonah is here. God is taking him through this experience to show him that he is opening up his heart to all of these people of a nation that is very brutal, very cruel, has repeatedly attacked the Israelites, God's chosen people, and yet God is showing Jonah his love for humanity. He's showing him the future and that Jonah should get with it, Jonah should submit to it, that Jonah's a part of it, that God wants him to be a part of it. At the same time, he's extending his mercy and grace to these, all these Ninevites. Who else is he extending his mercy and grace to? Jonah. But Jonah is inured to that. He's experienced that perhaps all of his life, as many of us have experienced God's grace all of our lives. And we forget how special it is. We forget how unique it is that we are saved, that we are loved by God. So see, God sets his love upon us and he demonstrates it to us at this table by having his son die for us. And so Jonah is not about Jonah. It's all about God. It's all about the bigness of God. You know the story of the lost sheep in the New Testament where Jesus speaks of there being a hundred sheep. One wanders off. And in this illustration, we have an even larger experience. We have, we have hundreds of thousands of sheep, more. We have 100,000 plus more coming in. Massive, massive quantity of sheep. And yet, God is concerned about this one, this one named Jonah, that appears to be resentful of the fact that all these new sheep are coming into the fold. And God goes after him just like Jesus said he would. So, the table is God's love for us, his mercy to us, and it chases us through life. What's sad is that at times we wish that those that we love, those that we care about, would avail themselves of the table, 
would come to know the God that we know as we know him. But we don't have that opportunity, perhaps. We were just talking this morning about how the Roman Catholics pray for the dead. I can relate to that. I can relate to a desire to reach into the afterlife and pluck dead people back from Satan's grip. It's a desire we all have if we have loved ones that we are pretty much convinced left this earth not knowing God. Yet God's words are true. God's way is right. So we must uh, have the love that God has. We can't pick and choose. We have people we love that have most likely been lost. And we have people that we detest that often are saved. And yet, how can we understand God's heart? How can we relate to this? It's through the mercy that God extends to us. We must see here that God's love is not under our control. All we can control is our love in response to his love. So that's what the table does. He draws us to his table, at his table. It's not ours. So let's go to his table and ask God to open up our hearts in the way that he intends. Father, we do thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence here with us. Uh, life is uh, mysterious to us, Lord. Uh, death, even more so. And yet we pray, Father, that we would submit ourselves to your reality, that we would not begrudge the grace that you give to others, those that we cannot relate to, those that we cannot forgive, or that we have great difficulty forgiving. Lord, we ask you to enter into our hearts, enter into our minds, and make us be like you. We want to be like you, our Father in heaven. And so we pray, Father, that you would uh, take us, draw us close to yourself, and expand our love such that we would love those whom you love. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come before you and be a recipient of the grace that continues to pour out upon this earth. And it is in Christ's name, your loving Son, we ask these things.